Thank you for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. Today's episode features Father John Ignatius and Brother Thomas Gonzaga sharing reflections about Jesus. To learn more about the Servants of Christ Jesus, please visit scjesus.org. Hi, and welcome to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. I am Edward Lugo, and today I am joined by Father John and Brother Thomas Gonzaga. How are you guys? Here we are. We're doing great today. Excellent. All right. Well, would one of you like to introduce the topic of what you'll be talking about on the podcast? Yes. uh, Today we are going to, um, Brother Thomas and I want to just rejoice in Jesus and testify to Jesus and um, speak about the centrality of Jesus, um, not just in our personal lives and in the servants, but in actually the whole history of the world. And so we just want to uh, uh, love Jesus together and love others into uh, that uh, that focus and that uh, concentration, that uh, that purposefulness of living a life in Jesus. Um, when I was uh, when I was younger, I was very uh, I was very intelligent. Very uh, <laughs> I used to be intelligent. Um, I was very intelligent. I was very ambitious. I was very successful in uh, student activities and classes and work. And uh, there wasn't any uh, there wasn't any problem or difficulty. But I didn't know. I think at some level, like what I was seeking, and that's very common for young people. But there is this beautiful uh, line in uh, that Jesus asks, you know, the disciples in John chapter one, like, "What do you seek? What do you seek?" And I and I didn't know that I didn't know because I've been raised Catholic. I've been raised around sacraments. I've been raised around churchy things, um, at least on Sundays and on uh, religious education days. And so I thought I knew, you know. Uh, everything there was to know, and little did I know that I hadn't yet met Jesus in an intentional, conversational, personal way until a figure like John the Baptist. So in John chapter 1, John the Baptist uh, points out, Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. And, and I don't know that John and Andrew, uh, the disciples, would have known that Jesus was the Lamb of God if he didn't have a John the Baptist to point him out. And so in my life, his name was Kevin Trigero, um, uh, a high school student that uh, uh, was a year ahead of me in high school, and uh, we were among 30 or 40 high school students were traveling around Europe and uh, traveling into churchy things and uh, basilica things and museum things and castle things all over Europe. You know, uh, inevitably, the, the question of faith would arise. And, and um, I, I met, a, I met a, uh, somebody my age who knew Jesus and, like John the Baptist, could could point out Jesus, I mean, not just point out Jesus as an object of study, not just point out Jesus as a role model to be admired, but point out Jesus as a living person with whom Kevin had a relationship. And I'm like, how do you do that? And so um, some have heard me bear witness to the testimony before that not inside of a church, but inside of a hotel room, and not in Rome, but in Amsterdam of all places, I encountered the living resurrected Jesus in a prayer that I uttered and a prayer that I offered as a 16-year-old, you know, and uh, and an invitation and a welcome. And Jesus took me up on that invitation and welcome. He says in Revelation, you know, I stand at the door and knock, and whoever opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. And I, I open the door a crack and in comes Jesus. And I'm like, oh, nobody ever told me this before. And so from, you know, 1984, when I had my conversion, 
Um, I have uh, been uh, striving and struggling, you know, and uh, and progressing and repenting in this relationship with the only person who has died and risen from the dead, Jesus himself. And his heart beats at the right hand of the Father in this moment right now. His eyes that w- that were seeing people on earth, you know, see us now. Um, and he is, uh, he, his, his heart beats, his eyes see, his voice speaks, and uh, and he is alive, and um, and his resurrection and his intervention in my life, but also in the life of the world, is the is the crux, if you will, of of uh, the salvation history of the planet, but also my own salvation history. And so, so I just want to begin there with a with a testimony. Behold, the Lamb of God. He's not dead. He's alive, and he is not distant. He is close. But uh, but he and he comes in whenever we welcome and invite him into our lives. And, uh, and I just give thanks and praise to God for uh, having that living, um, active relationship with Jesus. Thank you, Father John. Uh, I know that story, but it's always edifying to hear it again. And I know Jesus in a similar way. My first encounter with Jesus, where I knew it was really him, was in the Eucharist um, on a sophomore high school retreat and i'm grateful that it was in the presence of the eucharist because i think from that moment the lord gave me a grace of having faith to know that he is before me always and that it's really him uh that i don't have to go far to seek him and now we we're blessed in our community to have the blessed sacrament right under under the same roof uh, that we live in and um jesus is so close jesus is so close but as I was preparing for this, I, I also remembered, even though I encountered him there, I didn't really decide to follow him in a serious way for another couple years. And it also came through the word of God. I was praying with uh, the first letter of St. John, where St. John writes that um, God is love and those who abide in love abide in God and God in him. And I remember praying with that by myself. It was outside, uh, it was kind of like in this foresty place. And I was like, if that's real, if God really is love and he loves me, I don't want anything else but that. And uh, there was just a desire to start following him. And I think what stood out to me hearing your story this time was that it wasn't you who necessarily sought Jesus first, uh, but that he was seeking you um, in an unexpected way. And that's like the apostles. They weren't expecting to have John the Baptist point out, oh, there's the Lamb of God. And so there's kind of just this question of, has Jesus been trying to come more and more into my life? And am I willing to receive him? Am I willing to respond? And so I think that's a good question for us to ask is, how is Jesus trying to make his way more into my life? And am I open to that here and now? You remind me um, of the importance of the Word of God. I, I'm not sure if we've already had a had a podcast on Word of God, but as the Word of God kind of reintroduced you and reinvited you into that deepening relationship with Jesus, so that Word of God, the Bible, a little mini Gideon Bible, was in my hands in that hotel room in Amsterdam, and I'm looking at Jesus' words and saying, yes, yes, yes. 
And that interior recognition, the church had a great deal of responsibility for introducing me to that word of God, that gospel of Jesus week after week in Sunday Mass, so that when I read the words of Jesus for myself, I recognized someone that I had kind of like seen from afar, but I didn't know was like right here. And there was this interior um, uh, resonance between who um, who we are as human beings, who I am as a member of the human race. And this particular human being who said these words that just kind of open up the horizon of God and God's kingdom and um, all truth, all goodness, all generosity, all gentleness, all severity, all beauty is in those words of Jesus. And, um, and so for anybody who is seeking to take one more step closer to Jesus, I would just say open up a gospel and read um, what Jesus says and see if there isn't something that Jesus is saying that isn't just to the disciples in the past or to, the, to those who, who are blind or hemorrhaging women or you know Lazarus or Martha and Mary in the past, but actually saying to me here and now, because Jesus' words are are the record of a living man who's alive right now. And and that was my encounter, was through the living Word of God. It would be many years, uh, for better or for worse, before I came to adoration. I, adoration wasn't... <laughs> did they have adoration in the 80s? I don't, I don't know that they did, you know, um, at least not in, uh, in rural California. Um, but uh, but I re- but that was a beautiful moment of recognition when I was before the Blessed Sacrament. I'm like, oh... I can experience Jesus this way also. And, it, and, the, and the church just has a treasure of devotions and a treasure of saints and a treasure of even penitential practices, you know, um, a treasure of seasons, a treasure of uh, liturgical and non-liturgical prayer that, oh, I can experience Jesus this way too, this way too. And so, so that fundamental experience of Jesus through the word of God, I just give thanks and praise um, to God for placing that in my hands at 16. And, um, and I just, you know, that is our purpose in the servants of Christ Jesus is introduce people to Jesus through any and all of the gifts, particularly um, through the, through the uh, reading of the gospel for themselves. So Father John, talking about those, those ways that you guys have introduced individuals to Jesus. And, and, you know, the more you talk, the more I realize, like, if you could define what a servant does, it, I mean, we use all these phrases, preaching, teaching, spiritual direction, but really all like your whole mission is to introduce people to Jesus. What have been some of the most effective and impactful ways that you've seen souls be introduced to Jesus through the work that you guys do? There are two things that come to mind for me, and the first is what we've already been talking about. Or Actually, I'll combine my number one and two. We... I think one of the most effective ways that we bring people into contact with the living God, Jesus himself, is through his word. Jesus is the word that became flesh, and Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And so what I've learned as a servant of Christ Jesus is if there's someone who's open to put the word of God in their hand and have them read it out loud— And it's amazing that when they start to read the word of God out loud, that I don't have to do anything. The word of God himself now enters into the heart of the person and starts first, I think, to love them and then to show them how much more he has for them. And so as we put the word of God into their hand, as they speak the word of God out loud, 
then I can pray for them that whatever they've received would take deep root in their heart. And Jesus does the rest. I would agree um, that um, that putting the word of God, as Brother said, into the hands of people and having them claim it and them read it. I mean, I don't like to use the word contagious during a pandemic, but it's it's infectious and it gets inside of them and it works above and beyond my opinions, above and beyond my convictions, even above and beyond my testimony. My testimony is meant to lead them to an encounter with Jesus himself. And if they're encountering him inside the gospel, that's where I've seen conversions happen over and over again. And I rarely show up to a, to a lunch or a, a coffee without having the scriptures so that I can at some point say, "Hey, well, why don't we uh, why don't we look at this together, you know, and uh, and and either read it and pray it, or you know, um, or do a, a mini lexio on it." And so, it doesn't happen all the time, but it's a great, great grace uh, to to carry something so potent and powerful as the Word of God. And no words of God are more influential than Jesus's own words. Also, springboarding from what uh, Brother Thomas said, having them begin to pray in their own words. It's one thing to consume something, and that's what many Catholics are used to in religion. The priest talks and they consume. You know, a, a lecturer, whether it's a theologian or a spiritual writer, you know, lectures and we consume. And consumption can be very good, especially the high quality of consumption, especially that we have in the Archdiocese of Denver, theologically and spiritually. But consumption is not the fullness of Christian discipleship. And having somebody, not just like they're going to go pray about it, but pray right now in their own voice, there is something um, where, they're, where they're taking the initiative to cross over a threshold of faith to address Jesus who is alive right now. And grace happens when people read the Word of God out loud, but also begin to address Jesus in their own voice or address the Father in Jesus's name in their own voice. And and we are famous or infamous about asking people to like activate blessing or activate thanksgiving or activate intercession or activate praise and praise and worship. And, and so that activation of addressing Jesus, who we just don't imagine that he's alive, he's actually alive right now. And as people begin to address him, they themselves encounter Jesus. And there's not just one now, there's two that are addressing each other. And then I just get out of the way, you know. And so whether we're preaching and we're using God's word, but we're putting God's word in their hands, or we're teaching God's word, or um, we're putting God's word in people's hands and then with spiritual direction, coaching them with God's word, because all of God's word is about Jesus, whether it's the Old Testament prefigurements of Jesus or the New Testament testimonies to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's either Jesus talking in the Gospels, St. Paul and the apostles later reflecting on Jesus, or the patriarchs and the prophets anticipating Jesus. And so being anywhere in the word of God is anywhere closer to Jesus. And so uh, so I just, I just echo what Brother Thomas was saying about word of God and about activation of prayer um, because, uh, because prayer isn't just a thoughtful reflection in the presence of God. It's actually a dialogue between two people, two beings who are alive, who want to speak and be and be heard. Um, we want to speak and we want to be heard and we want to hear. And God wants to speak, God wants to hear because he cares about us so much. 
And um, and Jesus wants a, wants to be heard, just as he was heard. I mean, that's why he comes. He comes so that the invisible God would become visible, that the inaudible God would become audible, that the untouchable God would become touchable, and even the untastable. Nobody had tasted God before the Last Supper, you know. And so Jesus doesn't just want to be outside of us, asking you know us to catch up to his example. He wants to be inside of us so much so that he says, "This is my body. This is my blood," and puts himself inside. He certainly wants to be adored as well for our good we adore him but we receive him because we without him we can do nothing but with him all things were possible um, and so so I just uh, I just want to um, to uh, to encourage people that to read the word read the words of Jesus out loud for themselves but also to take the bold step of saying what do I wish to say to Jesus and then say it and and what do I want to ask Jesus and ask it and that's why one of our favorite things to do is not just spiritual direction, but the spiritual exercises. Because Ignatius of Loyola, you know, starts all of his documents and his letters with Iota Eta Sigma, I-H-S, Iota Eta Sigma, the first three letters of Jesus' um, name. And then the main, the longest part of the exercises is the gospel. I mean, for three weeks, three out of the four weeks, it's all gospel passages. And the grace for the longest week of the exercise, the longest season of the exercises, is to know Jesus more intimately, that I might love him more and follow Jesus more closely. And, um, and I, that's, that's a relevant grace to ask for every single year. You know, it, it, when, when, um, when the disciples are in the garden and uh, G- Jesus is going to come get arrested, they hear him say to the guards what they heard him say to them, you know, uh, almost. I mean, it's what do you seek in John chapter 1. In John chapter 18, he t- t- turns to, the, turns to, the, um, turns to the, d- the guards and says, whom do you seek? And uh, they're like, Jesus of Nazareth. And, and even the unbelievers are seeking Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, even the ones that are hostile to Jesus, whether they know it or not, they're seeking Jesus. And then, and then even if we've known him for a long time, like Mary Magdalene, we get to John chapter 20. And, um, and Jesus is standing right there. And he's like, woman, why are you crying? You know, whom do you seek? You know, whom do you seek? And, um, and, and so we, we need to hear that over and over. It's like, Am I seeking solutions? Am I seeking uh, comfort? Am I seeking relief from suffering? Or am I seeking Jesus in and through all of that? And, and, um, and it's okay to be blind occasionally, like Mary Magdalene, even when they're in the presence of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the, t- in, even, even to the, end of the ages. And so, um, so hearing that question again is not a condemnation of Mary. It's just an invitation for a very faithful disciple to say, oh, yes, I'm seeking you, Lord. But she says something along the lines of, um, Lord, if you've take, uh, sir, if you've taken him away, uh, uh, tell me and I will, and I will remove him, you know. And, and he says her name, Mary. And how many times have I needed to hear my name, you know? John, you know, Father John, Brother John, you know, to like, oh, yes, there are many things that take my attention, but above and beyond it all and in and through it all, Jesus, you are my purpose. You are my first love. You are my only love. You are, you are my desire. You're my, my ambition. You're my goal. You're my companion. Um, and, and you are, um, uh, you are the one that accompanies me along the way to bring me uh, to where I long to be. And that's just to be with you now and to be with you forever. Father, as you were talking, uh, there were a lot of things that <laughs> came to my heart, but um, one was just, we we're coming back to this question of Jesus saying, whom do you seek? What are you looking for? And 
what I hear you talking about is someone, a person that you've met. You don't know Jesus just as an idea. You know him in a real way, like I'm, I'm here before you. And one of the things that I think the Lord wants to speak to anybody listening to this podcast is that when we encounter the person of Jesus, everything's going to change. Um, nothing is going to be the same. Um, and mostly, what's going to change is that he's going to challenge us. Um, he's going to challenge us to reconsider the way that we see the world. He's going to challenge us to love like he loves. He's going to challenge us to get rid of the things that are a hindrance to him. You know, Jesus says, what do you seek? And every human heart is hungry for Jesus, whether they know it or not. Um, He is the word of God through whom all things have been made. And we are made to return to him. And so whether you realize it or not, you are made for Jesus, uh, the person who loves you, who died for you, who came to save you, who came to set you free, who wants nothing else but to put you on his shoulders and bring you home to the Father, where you will be blessed and happy forever. And if you'll permit me, uh, this quote has always stayed with me, and it's by him who represented Jesus on earth, uh, Pope John Paul II, the Vicar of Christ. Um, And he said this at um, World Youth Day in 2000, and I think it captures what I'm trying to say much better. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, please permit me to quote it at length. John Paul says, It is Jesus, in fact, that you seek when you dream of happiness. He is waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is he who provokes you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is he who urges you to shed the masks of a false life. It is he who reads in your hearts your most genuine choices, the choices that others try to stifle. It is Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives, the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be grounded down by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourselves humbly and patiently to improving yourselves and society, making the world more human and more fraternal. And what I just know the Holy Spirit wants to speak in that is that the Lord is for you. Jesus wants you to shed the masks of a false life. Happiness is found in conversion. Happiness is found in the way that Jesus laid out for us, the way that leads to the cross. Happiness won't be found in pleasure, in prestige, in honor, in material possessions and wealth. It's, it's going to be found in following him. He it is that gives life and came that we may have life more abundantly. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, you know. I would love that word that you said about challenge. Uh, <laughs> that uh, that uh, nobody challenges us like Jesus, and it, and it's it's so true. It's it's gentle, relentless, and severe all at the same time. Uh, G, in in um in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel, when Jesus comes out of the desert preaching, the first thing he says is, "Repent." You know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. And uh, 
and as a as a man, you know, there's a uh, there is a there's a hesitation to repent, but there's also this command to repent. There's this invitation, and I need His grace even to repent um, regularly, daily, um, weekly in the sacrament of reconciliation, and uh, and you know, and and Peter knows this because. Uh, there's this there's this invitation and challenge. He knows what Jesus is up to, and you know, and that walking on the water in Matthew 14. It's like, Lord, if it's you, call to me to come to you across the water. I mean, talk about a challenge, you know. And Jesus is like, come, you know. And and how many times have we like, Lord, if it's you? And he's like, take this next step that you've never taken before. And uh, and and it's uh, it's beautiful that you quote John Paul because he's the uh, successor of uh, of Saint Peter who testifies to something very, very similar, you know, the fulfillment of all desire, the fulfillment of all of our hopes and our dreams and our ambitions and our goals is Jesus himself. And in Acts of the Apostles, you know, John Paul's predecessor 2,000 years ago, uh, says, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you healthy and well, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that is a challenge. That's a, that's a challenge of Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that is an invitation and that's a challenge. Either I accept Jesus' word, that he is the one way, and everybody else either explicitly comes or implicitly comes to the Father through him. And I either accept Simon Peter's word that says there's no salvation in anyone else and there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, which just gives a missionary urgency that it's it's not like, oh, Jesus is a fine way for some people, or having a relationship with Jesus is a fine thing for some people. But if Jesus is the only one who has died and risen from the dead, he's the only hope for this failing world. He's the only hope for those who are hopeless. He's the only hope for those who are who are confused or those who are conflicted. And he's certainly uh, the only hope for even people who disbelieve in him, either because of their apathy or by or by contrary convictions. He's the only hope. Um, he's the only way. And the more people know him, the more people read him, the more people realize that he is good, he is true, he is sincere, he is authentic, he is merciful, he is generous. No, very, very few, I've, I don't think I've met a single person in my entire life that has an objection to Jesus himself. Um, and then it's just a matter of how do I receive what Jesus says, not just as historically, but as a, a voice in the present because he's alive. And then letting myself be converted into following him whose example will always call forth more from me. Um, not in a guilt-ridden way, but in a desirous way of, of knowing him more and, and being, you know, I love St. John the Baptist, whom I've already quoted, uh, who says, he must increase, I must decrease, you know. And that is my fruitfulness and my glory. If I can decrease a little bit more and Jesus gets more of my voice and more of my thoughts and more of my decisions, Decisions and more of um, my uh, uh, more of my virtue. If if Jesus is is glorified more, um, somehow as I decrease, I'm happier. Um, somehow as I, as Jesus, if you will, takes possession of me. 
the more the more I am who I was always created to be. And so so I just give thanks to God for for the challenge that you that you uh, that you described and the challenge of Jesus's words that are that invite me to more, but also the challenge of Jesus's example of of being all in all. And John saying, "If I decrease and He increases, that's the goal of my life." And I'm like, "Yes, not because I'm terrible." but because um, he is the way and the truth and the life. And if I'm living his way and he's living it in me, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I could die now and be with him forever, God willing, you know, by his mercy. Or I could just stay in union with him and labor here until, you know, I'm, oh, who knows, old. But, uh, um, but there, is this, uh, there is this beauty of Jesus of, not j- of, of challenging us, you know, relentlessly to, uh, to, to keep at it and keep moving in a godly way. So, Father John, you mentioned you were 16 when you first really met and encountered Jesus. So you've been living in this relationship with with him for 35 years, you know, more or less. Uh, And you mentioned earlier, you know, Mary Magdalene knew Jesus for a long time. And Brother Thomas, you obviously haven't known Jesus for 35 years, but you also have known Jesus for a long time. And I'm curious how your relationship with Jesus has evolved or changed or or you know, and you even mentioned Father John, like Mary Magdalene, it was, uh, Jesus had something new for her, even though he knew her. So I'm curious for you guys, like how your relationship with Jesus has evolved over time and also how he still presents himself in new ways to you, uh, even recently. I think I'll begin by just saying, um, compared to the the freshness, zeal, but also insecurity of my youthful relationship with Jesus. Um, I think I would describe it as insecure because I didn't have it for a long time. And then I did have it, but I was wondering, it, one, is it sustainable? And two, could I lose it again? You know, And, and I don't want to be complacent or presumptuous, but it does seem to me that, I've, that I'm more at home with Jesus now. I, I'm confident that he has me more than I have him. Now, now there is there is always potential for me to fall away from the heart of Jesus and the will of the Father, but it does seem to me that I I rest more in Jesus now than I did before, and I and I don't get me wrong I work very very Jesus has got a good worker in me, <laughs> um, but so it's not like I'm I'm resting all the time, but that I can um, but I can abide in Him and and do my prayer you know and have my prayer and have my conversation with Him. And uh, of course, he still surprises me. Um, and sometimes he surprises me by how close he is. Sometimes he surprises me uh, by a, um, a new take on an old word. And sometimes he surprises me that um, habits that I thought would be with me the rest of my life, suddenly either uh, I discover that not only by my repentance and by my penance, but by his grace are beginning to like miraculously diminish. Or I turn around, I'm like, where did that go? I don't even struggle with that, you know, anymore. And so, so, so it it does seem to me that that uh, Jesus's uh, Jesus's challenge, Jesus's invitation, is always fresh. At the same time, as you would expect, living in a family with someone, that I I I pray that I don't take Jesus Himself for granted, but there is this security that He's got me more than I've got Him, and that. Um, that zeal and enthusiasm may still be fresh, but it's it, it's not as like uh, 
emergency urgent that I'm used to experience. There is an urgency, but it's a significant urgency. It's not like an emergency urgency. And so, so, uh, so I don't live in an emergency mode like I used to perhaps. Uh, um, but I also, and I'm also facing emergencies with Jesus, uh, whatever unexpected crises arise and, uh, they, they don't happen um, infrequently. You know, it's like, I'll, all right, Lord Jesus, you've got this. I don't know how you've got this, but you've got this. And so, so those are some of the ways I think that my relationship with Jesus has um, evolved from uh, 35, 36 years ago until now. This is a great question. Um, Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if there's been any change, it's been on my side of the relationship. Um, and I think what I've, gosh, come to realize is that, as Father John was saying, I, I belong to him, um, and he's always chosen me. It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you. And so I'm just becoming more the more aware of the fact that he's chosen me, that I belong to him, that there's nothing I can do except <laughs> refuse forgiveness that would have him... Uh, turn away from me. I mean, he wouldn't, he doesn't turn away from us ever, ever. Uh, but also what came to mind was the quote of St. Augustine, late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new, late have I loved you. And so there's this ever ancient part that Jesus knows me from the time that I first encountered him. And so he can speak about those early days. <laughs> I'm not that old, but those early days, like when I first knew him, he, he can remind me of things that I've forgotten. And so there's something in my relationship with Christ that is ever ancient. But then his heart is a limitless treasure in which there is ever new. I mean, I can't wait to be, you know, knowing Jesus as long as Father John has been and to come back to the passages of scripture and still have more to know. And so that's what's exciting but I, yeah, I think I would go back to what I was saying originally is that what's changed is that I'm more aware of the fact that I belong to him and nothing's going to change that. Uh, St. Paul talks about in Philippians 3 how now he counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I'm starting to know what St. Paul is talking about. I'm starting to want nothing but to know Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm, I'm starting to want to suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And St. Paul talks about pressing on toward the goal of heaven. And he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I pressed on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So I belong to him. He's made me his own. And thanks be to God, I'm more aware of that now than I used to be. Mm-hmm. And if I can just say something about, um, I've only been ordained um, for seven years, but as a priest, there is just intimacy with Jesus when one is surrendered in the moments of the sacraments, where you know the words that you're saying are not your own, that they don't belong to me, they belong to Jesus, and that... Um, again, I decrease so that he increases. Whether I'm saying this is my body, this is my blood, it's him saying it in me. 
um, I absolve you of your sins. Like what human being can dare to say that except, except letting Jesus say it through, through me. And, and so I baptize you in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. And there's, um, there's just this, uh, um, intimate identification with Jesus. We talk about in persona Christi capitis, you know, in, per, in the person of Christ, the head is a priest. But I really, really love like the in persona, in the person of Jesus, the bridegroom, because what it invites me into is um, is not just the performance of a ritual. It's not just the repetition of some holy words, but I'm standing in relationship to the bride as Jesus himself, which means I have to be ready to lay down my life. I have to be ready to empty myself and take up the cross. Um, I have to be ready to be available for requests, convenient or inconvenient, you know, um, as, as Jesus was so generous when they went off to like rest and there were 5,000, you know, um, of the crowd, you know, ready to welcome him, you know, for his retreat, you know. And so, so there's just this, um, there's the Christian identification with Jesus. There's the religious identification with Jesus, which is beautiful in poverty with Jesus and as Jesus, chastity and obedience in Jesus and with Jesus and from Jesus and for Jesus. And then, um, and this isn't to brag, there's just kind of like this humble recognition of this Christic gift, um, this Christocentric gift that that I behold that I not only behold the Lamb of God for myself, which I must do and bow down and adore him, but I, in a very, very mysterious sense, if you will, kind of become the Lamb of God, um, both uh, both priest and victim simultaneously offered to the Father. Not in a substitutionary way at all of Jesus. It's just that that he, he deigns to humble himself so much in the bread and in the person of the priest that it just begins to work on me, um, and not just in the time of the sacrament, but outside the sacrament also. That um, you know, we talk about like the evil of, of of possession, you know, and needing exorcism. But there's also like this surrender to the spirit of Jesus, certainly in the sacraments, and then from there it overflows into other areas of life. And so, so I guess I would also say that in these 36 years or so since my conversion, there's been the gift of religious life and the gift of being a brother and the gift of offering people the word and um, personal prayer and intercessory prayer and uh, preaching, teaching, and spiritual direction, and then priesthood on top of that. I mean, th- this is this is um, unbelievable, miraculous, beautiful, and so intimate that uh, that I just want him to take over more of me. Um, and so I, so I just bless and praise God for the invitation to be so identified with Jesus that we can ask for the grace to think his thoughts, to speak his words, and to do his actions. And I, and I love him. Um, Jesus, I love you, you who have given me that gift, first of religious life, well, first of conversion, and then of religious life, and then of your own you know, priesthood before the Father. Father, I have a question. Um, you've walked with a lot of souls. Something that I think some listeners might think is, I've been trying to follow Jesus, but I kind of feel stuck. I come to prayer and sometimes it just feels like the Lord's not there. Uh, sometimes I'm, I'm trying to do everything I can and I just, I don't hear Jesus. I don't see Jesus. What counsel would you give to someone who is eager and hunger, hungering to know the Lord more, but it seems to be 
like they're stuck in that. Mm-hmm. What immediately comes to me is, is uh, asking. Um, Mary asked a question, how can this be since I do not know man? But she, I think she said it aloud, you know, to, to the, to the messenger, you know? And so asking, asking the question, um, Lord, is there anything I'm missing? Lord, is there anything more you want to say to me? Lord, I'm confused about this. Will you speak into this? You know, and then turn to the scriptures as we've already said, but also, um, asking for help. Um, American independent self-sufficiency is probably one of the gravest obstacles to receiving help, even from God, because so many people pray, God, help me to do this myself. <laughs> Lord, give me the strength to do this myself. And he's like, no, that's why I sent Jesus because you, I'm not giving you the gra- I'm not giving you help to walk on water by yourself. I'm, 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 I'm giving you the grace to, to do it, not just to like help you to do it for yourself. You know, there's no record of Peter ever doing that again, you know, um, all by himself, you know? And so, so, uh, so asking first, asking the question like Mary does and, uh, and listening for the response, hopefully through sacred scripture, but also just through personal prayer and listening. Um, secondly, asking for help from Jesus or asking Jesus to do it for you, asking to do, to do in you what you can't do. And that's really humbling, not only for first, you know, first world Americans, it's humbling for any young adult man or mature man and, and so many women as well to say, I need help. You know, Jesus, I need you to do it with me and for me um, because without you, I can't. And those two words, I can't. Um, I, I think G- God wants to overcome the I can't, you know, but God wants to overcome the I can't that we so uh, frequently like uh, regress into. But thirdly, I'd also say about asking, and that is asking another human being, another believer for help. And asking another believer for prayer, will you pray with me? Will you pray for me right now? Because the enemy is the one that wants to isolate us and divide us from each other. But but when we pray with each other, there is a testimony to a relationship that is before me that I know exists, but I'm hearing it in another voice. And that person will pray things under the influence of the Holy Spirit that they might not have even known that they were going to pray, but it's going to... Um, I trust, and I've had the experience of it blessing me, it blessing me when somebody has prayed for me. And Lord knows, even as a priest, um, I am blessed when my brothers pray for me at Vespers, you know, pray over each other on occasion, but also, you know, in a, in a really uh, troubling time with, uh, with confessions or deliverance ministry, you know, coming home and asking a priest or the priests, you know, hey, I just want to uh, kind of uh, ask you for prayer, you know, and we step to the chapel for a minute or two and they pray aloud for me that, that I would be covered, that I would be cleansed, that I would be blessed, that I would be strengthened. You know, asking for help is a humble thing, but what it says is that I don't do this by myself. I don't do this by myself. And so, um, and I know the young adult men that I've worked at, with from um, Phoenix to Chicago to Steubenville to Denver, that the ones who grow out of sin and into virtue and the ones that grow in a relationship with God are frequently the ones that are doing it with another brother or two or a household, you know, when they are running with prayer and purity together and they're helping each other, they go so much faster and further than a man who's trying to do it all by himself. And so asking, asking the Lord uh, for um, what he wants to say, asking the Lord to do it in and through you, like 
Lord, do in me what I can't do by myself. I beg you, you know, and then, but also asking a fellow believer or fellow believers for uh, accountability, for prayer, for for vulnerability. And and I've seen this in patriarch. I've seen this in spiritual exercises. I've seen this in missionary programs. Uh, people want to know and be known. They want to um, love and be loved uh, in the Lord in, in, in a surpassing way, not just human beings loving human beings, but human beings seeking to be Jesus with each other and for each other. And so, so I would say if you're stuck, you know, ask the Lord for um, counsel, ask the Lord to do in you what you can't do and ask a believer um, for, for prayer and for assistance or accountability so that you can grow further. Excellent. Well, this has been wonderful to hear and thank you very much. Uh, before we wrap up, is there any closing thoughts that you guys would like to share on Jesus? <laughs> Jesus is so awesome. It's, it's hard to put into words. Uh, but I'm reminded lastly, just of one of the graces for my 30 day. And that was when I got at like day 28 or 29 or day 30, I was kind of sitting with the Lord and was marveling at the fact that, Hey, I, I do know you more. <laughs> I do love you more. And I think I'm following you more than I ever have before. And kind of goes what you were saying, Father John, about asking. I, I think I undervalue the gift of just asking for grace. Um, that when we come to our father, he will not, turn away our request to know him more. I mean, that's what he desires. And so I just want to encourage everyone to, to go to the Lord every day and ask to know him more, to love him more, to follow him more. That's one of the ways that I begin holy hours, just to repeat that prayer because he wants to answer it. He says in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, I like Luke a lot though because of the ending. But when he says, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. Um, for what father among you would give his son a scorpion when he asks for a fish? How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If you want to know God more, if you want to know the spirit of Jesus, um, ask and you will receive. Um, Jesus is the joy of the human race. And um, Jesus Christ is Lord, not just of those who follow him. He is God. He is God for everyone who believes and doesn't believe yet. And every other founder of any religious, you know, um, a denomination or any other religion is imperfectly imitating who Jesus himself fulfills. And so um, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And there is this, um, there's this daring question, you know, whom do you seek? And, um, and do you believe? Uh, do you believe? Um, I'm reminded of the end of uh, Philippians, the Philippians to him. Every knee shall bend. Every knee shall bend in the heavens, on the earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess. In the end, every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Um, Jesus Christ is the one that's in charge. And the more I yield to him being in charge, that's, that's my joy um, because he is Lord and God who wants 
my uh, my growth and my fruitfulness and my dominion here on earth, but he also wants my um, my eternal happiness in heaven. And, uh, and heaven is open because of Jesus, because of Jesus. So if I may, I'm just going to, I don't usually sing, but I'm going to sing because it's, there's, a, there's something transcendent and beautiful about a melody um, that is different than kind of all these propositions and even testimony. And it's the, I believe it's the second verse of Silent Night. And it goes, a silent night, holy night. Son of God, love's pure light, radiant streams from thy holy face. With the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. There's not very much in that stanza that doesn't say and sing what we've been trying to say um, in this last hour. It just does it more beautifully. So I just give great thanks for Jesus choosing me and Jesus' desire for everyone. And I give great thanks that Brother Thomas and the servants um, are one small part of Jesus' kingdom, uh, trying to bring his word and and a a living relationship and encounter with him and a deep formation in him to uh, to everyone. And that um, if Jesus fulfills our prayer, Everyone will know him and love him and follow him more because of the grace of serving him with our lives. Well, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and reflections in this podcast on Jesus. As always, you can find more about the Servants of Christ Jesus and you can find podcast episodes as well as homilies and talks from the Servants of Christ Jesus at scjesus.org. Thank you, Father John and Brother Thomas. You're welcome, Ed. Thanks be to God. Thank you, man.